Hello and good evening. This is Warren Landis. I am your um, Bible teacher and host here on Sunshine USA. And of course, I want to welcome all of our listeners on um, Anchor FM and Spotify and all the other platforms that we do Sunshine USA on. Uh, many of you know we are currently involved in a study of the Word of God. And in particular, we're in 2 Corinthians. And today we'll begin commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1. But first, I do want to say that it's always a joy uh, to read your emails that you send to me from across America and throughout the world. It lets me know that uh, you're listening to this program and that you are indeed and in fact enjoying uh, the study of the Word of God. And uh, I think this is so very, very exciting. Um, I was talking to someone today on the phone, believe it or not. Uh, he was telling me that in their particular church, they were thinking about doing away with Sunday school. They did not feel that Sunday school was doing a good enough job uh, reaching people for Christ or teaching them the Word of God. Now, I told him, I said, I have to differ with you a little bit on that. I think Sunday school is a wonderful thing when it's done correctly. Uh, it does help people to learn the Word of God. And I know that if I were pastor of a church, I would never, ever even be remotely in favor of doing away with Sunday school. Uh, now, this particular church, they were thinking about abolishing Sunday school and replacing it with small groups. Now, I don't have anything against small groups. I don't have anything against uh, life groups or whatever else you want to call it. But I do not believe in doing away with good old-fashioned Sunday school. I think it's a program that has proven itself over a period of time. Now, the trick is getting Sunday school done right. And that means that you have to properly train people to do Sunday school. Uh, you have to train people so that they know how to teach the Word of God. And ultimately, that is the pastor's job. That is the pastor's uh, responsibility to make sure that they do a good enough job of teaching people in the church how to teach others the Word of God. But if your church has a choice in the matter, don't give up Sunday school. Just make an effort to do it right. And I think that would be the right decision to go. Now, like I say, I'm not against small groups or life groups or whatever you want to call it. I think it can be an ideal supplement to what we already have, but not a replacement for it, okay? <laughs> okay. But anyway, keep those emails coming because, believe it or not, that's how I get encouragement. When I get emails from someone telling me that they uh, listen to one of my podcasts first thing every in the morning, uh, man, I tell you, that makes me feel so good. You cannot imagine how good that makes me feel. It makes me feel really, really good. And so keep those emails coming. 
let me uh, know what this broadcast ministry means to you. Okay, now let's uh, turn in our Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Now here, Paul makes this statement in verse 1. Now by the mildness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg that you, that when I come, I may not need to be as bold as I expect toward those who presume that we live according to the flesh. Now, what Paul is doing here is telling the Christians that he likes very much to be as meek and mild as he can when he visits with the church in person. But, he says, if I have to, I will be as bold and as blunt in person as I am when I write. And so he's hoping that the church at Corinth will do whatever it takes to make sure that he can be mild with them and meek with them instead of bold. Now, this is in part because in verses 3 through 6 we find that dealing with sin is part of the spiritual warfare to be fought with God's help. It is not a physical war. The aim of this war is to pull down everything that opposes obedience to Christ in the life of the believer and to turn disobedience into obedience. So he talks about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, which, like it or not, we as Christians are engaged in. Uh, it is because of spiritual warfare that we find that it is not easy to be a Christian. It is not easy to be a Christian because of spiritual warfare. Because of the fact that we have uh, Christian people that seemingly have to battle to do the right thing. Now part of this is because of the fact, as I've indicated on previous broadcasts, our old sin nature, our old Adamic sin nature is not destroyed or eradicated when we get saved. When you and I get saved, we find that we still have to do battle with the old sin nature. And once again, this is what spiritual warfare is all about. We have to engage in battle to do the right thing. You know, a lot of times uh, Paul said, you know, I desire to do good, but I end up doing bad. I don't want to be bad. I want to be good. But he indicates what a struggle it is to do the right thing. And I guarantee you, folks, if it was a struggle for Paul, if it was a struggle for Paul, you can mark it down. It's going to be a struggle for me and you. It will be. That's the way it is. Amen. (laughs) 
So we just have to get used to the fact that we're going to have to uh, struggle with this thing called spiritual warfare. Now, understand this too. Satan wants to fight us, especially if we're doing anything for God. Especially if we're doing anything for God. If uh, Satan seems to be um, threatened by what we're doing for the Lord, he wants to fight it. And the more we're wanting to do for the Lord, the more he wants to fight us. Um, I can tell you, a lot of times, I can feel the Lord, I mean, I can feel Satan battling me as I try to do this radio program. Because Satan knows that I have a desire to do the will of God in every single situation of life. I always want to do the right thing. Now, I wish I could say that I always do the right thing. Sometimes I slip up and I don't because I'm not without sin. As I've indicated, I too have to deal with spiritual warfare. I have to deal with battling the flesh. And that was the same battle that Paul talked about. And ultimately, the aim of this battle is to turn disobedience into obedience. Now, you know, it's interesting. Some Christians feel that because we're saved by grace through faith, that we don't have to worry about obedience. But the fact of the matter is, you and I should have a desire to be obedient to the will of Christ simply because of the fact that we're Christians and we love Christ. We want to be as much like Christ as we possibly can be. We want to obey his commandments. But we do this not in order to be saved, but because of the fact that we are saved. Paul talks about pulling down everything that opposes obedience to Christ. In other words, if something is hindering your walk with the Lord, you know what Paul was saying? You need to get it out of your life. You need to get rid of it. If you're watching certain TV shows that conflict with your view as a Christian, you ought to be willing to stop watching those television shows. If you're listening to the kind of music that glorifies a sinful lifestyle, then you know what? You need to quit listening to that kind of music. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you. One of the ways I do battle there is I don't like to listen to secular music. I don't like to listen to secular radio stations. If I listen to radio at all, it's going to be mostly Christian radio. Now, sometimes I will listen to a news radio station so that I can keep up to date on what's happening in the world of news. But other than that, I listen to Christian stations because I know a Christian station is where I could tune in and I can listen to great Bible teachers and great gospel preachers and I can also listen to music that is going to be spiritually uplifting to me. One of the things I like to do every night when I go to bed, 
I love to listen to Christian radio. One of the Christian radio programs that I listen to is um, a Christian radio program called the Old Time Preaching Hour. Now, it airs on WTBI-FM radio here in Greenville, South Carolina. And you can get it at 91.5 FM on your radio dial here in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, those of you that live in other parts of the country or you live in other parts of the world, you can simply tune in to WTBI.org and listen that way. Or you can go to the TBI, the WTBI radio app. Either way, you can listen to WTBI radio. And at 11 o'clock Eastern Time each night, they carry this program. It's called the Old Time Preaching Hour. Now, I will tell you up front, most of the preachers that you hear preaching that hour are dead. They are preachers that died several years ago. Yet they are still preaching the gospel today on the radio. And if you listen to these preachers, you could still gain a lot from the preaching that they do on the radio. It's a wonderful and exciting thing. Amen? Amen. And I spend basically my first hour in bed every night from 11 to 12 listening to some good old-fashioned gospel preaching. And then in the morning when I wake up, I'm still listening to Christian radio. Typically, though, I start the morning off listening to Christian music. And then I listen to at least one or two sermons on the radio, and then I'm ready to get up and face another day. Habits like these help make it a lot easier for me to win the fight over sin and the sin nature. It makes it easier for me to live for the Lord. Now, in verses 7 through 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 11, Paul's allegiance to Christ means that he must be hard on disobedient Christians at times. Now, you know, it's interesting when you compare Paul and his style of preaching to the preaching that we hear on radio and TV stations today, Paul was not like the modern-day television preachers. You know, a lot of the modern-day television preachers, they want to get on television, and they want to make you feel good. They want you to know that however you're living, that's all right, God understands, God loves you. And the last thing in the world they want to do is to complain about the way you've chosen to live, whether it's godly or not. Folks, let me tell you, that's not the way the Bible teaches, and that's not the way Paul preached. Paul says that it was necessary sometimes for him to be hard on disobedient Christians. For example, in 1 Corinthians when Paul told the church at Corinth, you've got this immoral man living in your congregation. And he's doing things that are so evil and so sinful, even the pagan world 
is talking about how evil it is and how sinful it is, how wicked he is. And Paul says you must deal with this man. He says it will probably be necessary for you to put him out of the church for a brief period of time so that he could see the error of his ways. But Paul points out that in spite of being hard on disobedient Christians, he wants to build them up rather than tear them down, whether by letter or in person. And that is the aim that he is pursuing. He wants to build them up rather than tear them down. But you see that process begins by letting disobedient Christians know that they are that. They are disobedient. They are not living in a way that honors God. And this makes God very upset. This makes God very disappointed in the way that they're living. And he tries to build them up. You know, when I think back over my days in school, back when I was in elementary school, for example, and even back when I was in high school, for that matter, or even college, the teachers that I learned the most under were teachers that were hard on me, teachers that knew how to push me to achieve my maximum best. A lot of times I would hand in a, a report, and you know what my teacher would say? My teacher would say, Warren, you're capable of doing a better job than this, and I want you to do it. And so a lot of times they would hand me that report, and they would say, now I want you to do this over, and I want you to do the good job that I know you're capable of doing. So I would get it, and I would do it over. This time, I would do a much better job on it. <laughs> For one thing, I knew the teacher was going to make me keep doing it over and over again until I did. So I finally figured out I better go ahead and get it done right. And when I handed it in the next time, the teacher would say, Warren, this is very good. This is why I came down on hard on you, because I knew that you were capable of doing so much better than the work that you were handing in. And she would go on to say, Warren, that's why I ride you harder than some of the other students. She's, she said, there are some students, frankly, who just don't have the potential that you have. And she, she would say, I want you to at least try to obtain and achieve everything that you have the potential of achieving. And then Paul talks about boasting. Now Paul's boasting has only been to distinguish him from false apostles. After all, no Christian should boast about self or self-achievement, but should glory in the Lord. Only God's commendation counts. In other words, the purpose of Paul's boasting is not to brag about how good he is, but distinguishing himself from false apostles. 
Now, of course, you understand that Paul was in a situation where in his day he had to battle against all kinds of false apostles. And so Paul a lot of times had to do what seemed like boasting in order to distinguish himself from false prophets. Now, of course, we should know exactly what Paul was talking about. Because, you see, you and I as Christians today, we find it necessary, we find it necessary to get in there and preach hard in order to contradict the false prophets that we have to deal with. Of course, I've already made reference to the false prophets that are abounding today on radio and television. I mean, nowadays, uh, if you listen long enough, you could find some preacher somewhere that's going to agree with whatever you want to believe in. But most preachers will tell you the hard thing to do is to preach what you know is right. And the sad thing is, many preachers feel that they are not given by their congregations enough liberty to preach the way that they really want to preach. Okay, now we next go on to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Now here is where we find Paul being concerned. Paul does not want Satan to entice away or to spoil the bride of Christ, his church. He shows his belief in the book of Genesis. When illustrating from Eve's temptation by citing it as historical fact. Now, one thing I do want to point out is that the book of Genesis is historical fact. We have a lot of liberal theologians today, for example, that are going around teaching that Genesis is not historically sound. For example, they would say Adam and Eve were not literally the first two people on earth. On the other hand, I believe that they were literally the first two people on earth. And we know that Adam and Eve were the first to sin against God, literally. They literally sinned against God. We also know that even as far back as Adam and Eve, Satan was on the scene, this time in the form of a snake or a serpent, trying to tempt Eve to do what Eve should have known was contrary to the will of God. Now, of course, understand too, Compared to other Old Testament believers, Adam and Eve had it made. 
they only had one commandment to be concerned with. There was this one tree in the Garden of Eden that they were forbidden to eat the fruit of. And basically, that was the only commandment that they had to keep. The Ten Commandments had not been written yet. Moses had not come along yet. There was no written law. But even with just one commandment to try to keep, we know that Satan was on the scene in the form of a serpent, hard at work, trying as hard as he could to get Eve to yield to temptation, which she did. Not only eating the forbidden fruit herself, but also giving it to her husband, which he also ate. Now, in verses 4 through 6, in Genesis, uh, pardon me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the false teachers and preachers present another Jesus, different from the Lord, Jesus Christ, a different spirit, different from the Holy Spirit, and a different gospel, different from the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness through faith alone in Christ alone. Paul reminds them that he has proved his apostleship to them. In fact, Paul was bold enough and blunt enough in his preaching and teaching to the Corinthians. He says, look, if anybody comes along presenting to you a different Christ or a different gospel other than what I preach, Paul said, let them be a curse. That's how confident that Paul was in the way that he was teaching the believers at Corinth. He says, if anybody is teaching anything any different than what I am teaching you, Paul says, let them be a curse. Now, like I say, if Paul had to deal with false teachers, even more so in our day, you and I are flooded with all kinds of false teaching. And that's one of the reasons why you and I as Christians today have to make it our aim to be grounded in the Word of God. And some people say, well, now Warren, how do you get grounded in the Word of God? Well, one of the ways you become grounded in the Word of God is to read and study the Word of God every day. Now, by reading the Word of God, I'm not just talking about reading the Word. I'm talking about studying the Word. I'm talking about examining the Word, dissecting the Word, and, and really seeing in all earnestness, what the Word of God is saying to you. <laughs> now, I mind you now, it, sometimes it might be painful. Sometimes the Lord is going to be telling you, you know what, you're doing something over here, uh-uh, you shouldn't be doing it. I, I find a lot of situations like that in my own life. 
I'll think about doing something. But then I find the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart and say, uh-uh, mm-mm, don't do that. And other times I find that I no sooner do something that I realize, hey, this is sinful. This is something that I do not want to be doing. And like I say, that only comes with making a commitment to read and study the Word of God daily. This is why you should listen to Sunshine USA every single day so that you're taking in the Word of God. And then over here, next of all, out of love for the church, he labors for them in the gospel for no payment so as not to be burdensome to them and will continue to do so. This is not for his own personal gain, but for their welfare. He says, out of love for the church, he labors for them in the gospel for no payment. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't you love to hear radio preachers and TV preachers talk about that. Now, I could tell you being a radio preacher myself, it's tempting to get in front of the microphone and talk about how much you need money. But the Lord has more and more convicted me that if you preach the way you need to be preaching, God will take care of the financial end of it. What you need to do is to make sure that you do a good job preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know that for a number of weeks now, if you've been listening to this program, I have discontinued... Um, asking anybody for financial contributions for the growth and development of this ministry. I have decided rather than ask for funds, I will make it my point to simply preach the gospel and teach the Bible and depend on the Lord to provide any funding that is necessary. Now, you know, here in America, I have the good fortune of being what we call retired. <laughs> now that means every month I get a retirement check from the government. And usually this check is enough for me to live on comfortably. I don't have a lot of money left over for luxurious things, but I do have enough money to buy the basic necessities of life. So it's not necessary for me to get in front of this radio mic and say, well, I need you to give money to this ministry so I can eat supper tomorrow night. I find that God does a pretty good job of taking care of me. 
Now, of course, it's true that if people give more money to this ministry, then I would be able to probably grow and expand the ministry much better than if I don't get money. But I'm leaving all of that these days up to the Lord. And I'm no longer using up valuable TV and radio airtime asking for money. But instead of asking for money, I just simply learn to depend on the Lord for those things that I need. Now, in verses 13 through 15, the false apostles appear as true apostles of Christ and as ministers of righteousness. Just as Satan himself appears as an angel of light, they are corrupt, but their end will be according to their works. In other words, Paul talks about the fact that false apostles appear as true apostles of Christ and as ministers of righteousness, just as Satan himself appears as an angel of light. You know, a false teacher will never come on the air and say, Listen up, guys, I'm a false teacher. No. They are going to give you all kinds of reasons to believe that they are the only preachers preaching the true word of God, but they're not. They try to come across as being just as uh, good a preacher as any you'll find anywhere in the country. But they are false teachers. They are false preachers. Paul describes the devil as appearing as an angel of light. And that is so sad. That the angel appears to them. I mean that false teachers appear to them as angels of light when they are not. Now, the best way you can defend yourself, once again, against false teachers is by getting into the Word of God and really grounding yourself in the Word of God. The more you do this, the more you will find yourself able to take a stand against false teachers. You know, when Paul on one of his missionary journeys, traveled to Berea. One of the things that impressed Paul about the believers in Berea was the fact that they were not afraid to diligently search the scriptures. When someone came to town and they claimed to be a true preacher, guess what? Paul opened up, <laughs> Paul says, the believers in Berea, they opened up their Bibles and they read their Bibles such as they had. Now, they didn't have all of the Bible the way you and I do today, but they looked up the scriptures that they had to see if these people were correctly presenting the scriptures as they understood them. And it did Paul good to see them be that way. Now, next of all, we find that Paul is finally forced to show the church why he is a genuine apostle. 
He is made to enter into the foolishness of boasting simply to reveal his apostolic pedigree, his God-given gifts, and his amazing sacrificial suffering as Christ's servant. Now understand this. Paul knew what it was to suffer. Paul knew what it was to sacrifice. And Paul didn't mind sharing with other people how he suffered and sacrificed for the cause of Christ. And he knew that many of them also would have to suffer just as he had suffered if they were going to truly take a stand for God. You know, it's very interesting. Paul went from being the number one persecutor of Christians to being one of the most persecuted of all Christians. So, Paul knew both sides of it. Amen. Paul says they need to realize that he is God's genuine and authoritative apostle and they must heed his teaching, the sufferings Paul has experienced for Christ, and his gospel have taken him to the boundary of life and death, and to challenge every Christian to live and witness for the Lord at personal cost. Now let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you deliberately and intentionally witness for the Lord? Let me ask you that question again. When was the last time that you deliberately and intentionally witnessed for the Lord? Has it been a while? Have you ever done it? I, I tell you folks, there is not a greater blessing that you can have on this earth than to do something for the Lord. That's not easy. And the first time you try to witness for the Lord, you're going to find it to be the hardest thing you ever did. I, <laughs> I, I remember as, I, as a young Christian, I was about 14 years old. I was one of the youngest Christians in town. I'd only been saved for a few weeks, but I got involved in the visitation soul winning ministry at my church. Every Monday night, the adults of the church would go door to door telling people about Jesus. And they would also visit with any of the visitors and tell them about the church and let them know how much we enjoyed having them and how much we would like to see them come again. Well, I can remember I was the only teenager that came to Monday night visitation. The other 14-year-olds in the church, along with the other teenagers in the church, they were out doing whatever teenagers do. But I was at church. To the point where my parents 
got embarrassed. They were a little bit embarrassed that I was the only teenager going to visitation. And they, they talked to the pastor and they said, Preacher, is uh, Warren getting in the way? Is, is, would you rather him not come to visitation? And the preacher said, Oh, no, we want him to come. We love it when he comes to visitation because we love the idea of him learning at an early age what it is to serve the Lord. And so we want him to come. We want him to knock on doors with the rest of the adults and tell people about Jesus. Now, I can remember the first time that I went witnessing. It was in the summertime. It didn't get dark until 9 o'clock. We met at the church at 7 o'clock in the evening to go door-to-door visiting. And I would knock on the door of somebody's home. And I would tell them about Jesus. But the first time I did it, it was hard. In fact, I walked up to the porch and I started to knock on the door, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And the reason I couldn't bring myself to do it, I I didn't know what I was going to say. And so I walked down the steps across the yard back to the road. And I said, no, I've got to do this. And so I walked back across the yard, back up the steps, back up to the porch. But again, I couldn't bring myself to knock on the door. I was filled with fear. I didn't know what to say. So again, I walked down the steps, back across the yard, back up to the road. And I knew I had to do something, so I walked back across the yard, back up the steps, back up to the porch, and I still couldn't figure out what to say. Only this time I accidentally knocked on the door. I knew that I was in for it now. The only thing I could do now is to pray to the Lord that they would not be home. But in the background, I could hear the steps of somebody coming. So I knew they were home. And and they opened up the door. And finally, I introduced myself and I got talking with them. And I ended up talking with them for a good 20 or 30 minutes. Everything went better than I thought. But I thought to myself how hard that was the first time I did it. Now, of course, since that time, I've done it many times, and I have thoroughly enjoyed doing it. For one thing, I just thoroughly enjoy meeting people. I'm one of those people, you know, I hardly ever meet a stranger. I just enjoy talking to people, getting to know them. And that's why it's usually pretty easy for me to get along with them. Amen. Um, One of the things that is coming up in the next few weeks, and I mentioned this, I think, in prayer time last time. Um, Some things are going to be happening in my life. Pretty soon I'm going to be moving into an assisted living facility. Uh, 
I, I, I know which one I hope I'm moving into, but I don't know for sure, and I know it's going to take probably a while longer than I want it to take, but be that as it may, I, I know that I have to do this. <laughs> and I know it will be a big help to me. And, and they told me that I would be in a semi-private room. They said, you don't mind having a roommate, do you? And I said, no, because I said I enjoy talking to people. I remember when I was in college, I got along with pretty much everybody. I enjoy getting to know people. I enjoy giving them an opportunity to get to know me. And a lot of times I will be very flexible trying to get along with that person. And I also know it's the best way to do one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Amen? Amen. So we find that Paul wants us to live for Christ and be a witness for the Lord no matter what the personal cost. Like I say, it's not always going to be easy. But I can't think of anything more rewarding than doing that. Now next time we will pick up where we have left off this time. And we don't have much further to go. Another couple of chapters and we'll be finished with Second Corinthians. <laughs> I tell you, we have just seemingly raced our way through 2 Corinthians, just like we did 1 Corinthians. But I love the writings of Paul. <laughs> Apart from Jesus Christ, Paul may very well be one of my favorite characters in the Bible, but, you know, it's hard to say. <laughs> right now, on the other Bible teaching series that I do on Sunshine USA, I'm teaching through the Old Testament, like I'm teaching through the New Testament on this series. And right now in the Old Testament series, I'm teaching out of the book of Jeremiah. And I have found uh, Jeremiah to be an amazingly interesting prophet. You know, <laughs> on one occasion, to illustrate a point, Jeremiah walks around naked for three years. And then we find that on another point, he gets dropped into a cistern. That's a deep well. And he spends a lot of time being locked up in a cistern. He can't get out. It's deep. It's damp. It's cold. So Jeremiah becomes a very interesting Old Testament prophet to study. Before that, we studied Isaiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. You know, when uh, Isaiah warned Israel about her sins, a lot of times he did so weeping. It broke his heart to tell him some of the things he had to tell him. But he had to be faithful to the Lord to do what the Lord told him to do and to bring the message that the Lord told him to bring. In the case of Jeremiah, sometimes Jeremiah <laughs> would almost take issue with God. But God, why would you do this? God, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> I tell you right there, Jeremiah had a whole lot more boldness than I would have had. Look at David. I mean, David, when he prayed to the Lord, sometimes uh, David would say, God, I want you to take my enemies and I want you to smash their face up against the wall. Some of David's enemies, if they asked David if he was praying for him, yeah, I'm praying for you, buddy. But boy, they wouldn't like the way he was praying about them. He said, God, I want you to take their head and bash it up against the wall. I want you to take their bodies and smash them into a million pieces. Would you want somebody praying like that for you? Mm-mm, not me, but <laughs> David didn't have any problem with it. So it, it's a fascinating thing to study the Word of God. Amen. Well, we have come to the end of another broadcast. I've gone a little bit longer tonight than I go sometimes, but that's okay. I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I hope you have too. But don't fret none, because we'll be back again tomorrow night. So until tomorrow night, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.